This is a podcast about Jeopardy. Hello and welcome to Potent Audibles. I'm Kyle. And I'm Emily. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each show, we start with an analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move into a deep dive on a question or category from one of those episodes. And we finish with a quiz. So this week, uh, we are moving into the last week of November. So we have uh, Stephen Pecora, a naval architect from Annapolis, Maryland. Beth Stewart, a receptionist from Naperville, Illinois, and Elise Nussbaum, a financial counselor from Jersey City, New Jersey, whose three-day cash winnings total $79,600. I thought the If It Were an Action Movie category was kind of goofy and fun. Uh, In that category, we had uh, films that were not action movies they uh adapted them into action movie sounding quotes um so for instance at the 400 hundred hundred dollar level uh to an aussie dentist quote i know where you work 42 wallaby way release my son from your tank or i will come for you uh which of course was uh finding nemo yes Um, that that classic action movie yes (laughs) Yeah, no, so I, I enjoyed that one. I was bummed that nobody got um, Amelie, which was one of my favorite movies back in like high school, college. Um, it's, a, it's a French film with Audrey Totu. Yeah, I've never actually seen Amelie. I know the soundtrack. It's a nice soundtrack. Yeah. Yeah. We had uh, a daily double uh, in Single Jeopardy in the New York set novels category. Elise hit that and bid $1,600, um, but she couldn't get it. The clue was psychologist Dr. Laszlo Chrysler and his team tracked down a brutal serial, serial killer in this bestseller set in 1896. Um, uh, she guessed Devil in the White City, which, you know, is a is a fine guess. She, she almost ran out of time and tried to say something rather than nothing. Yeah. Um, the correct response was The Alienist, which I had not heard of. Uh, I think they made a... Uh, like a mini series on TNT. Oh, okay. Uh, with Dakota Fanning, ten episode limited series first aired on TNT, but it's based on the book. There you go. Okay, I guess that would be a way to know it. Um, yep. Uh, so they uh, they hit double jeopardy um, with uh, Elise at fifty eight hundred, Beth trailing at four thousand, Stephen at three thousand. Um, we had an interesting moment in double jeopardy. Uh, on clue number three um oh uh in the 1990s lyrics uh category uh yeah the 400 hundred dollar clue the the clue is right said fred quote i'm a model and you know what i mean and i do my little turn on the catwalk which i gave about as much uh artistic uh inflection to as alex did and uh beth rang in and very confidently uh, responded, what is, I'm sexy and I know it. And Alex responded with a simple, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. But then Elise uh, got in with, I'm too sexy, which I'm sure I'm sure that's what uh, Beth was probably thinking of, given the, yes. the common word in the titles. Uh, mm-hmm. But as any good millennial knows, 
I'm Sexy and I Know It is by LMFAO. And right. it's much more recent. Mm-hmm. Well, the contestant coordinators do encourage the contestants to uh, deliver their responses dramatically if they feel so inclined. They love it if you, you know go for a little bit of an accent uh you may if you sing you may have to reshoot your uh reshoot your response depending on um uh concerns about getting the rights to uh to song music but uh but they you know i think beth wasn't just you know sort of going rogue like they do actually encourage the contestants to you know to uh bring a little uh a little flair if you will um yeah yeah i mean uh, it is a tv show yeah we should be entertaining (laughs) <laughs> but it's <laughs> it's always a little embarrassing if you uh, add flair and then <laughs> to your response and then you're and then you're incorrect. Yeah. Uh, we had an interesting moment also at um, uh, clue the tenth clue um, was the second daily double the first of the double jeopardy round. Um, it was in the world geography category. So we get daily double number two in the world geography category uh, at the twelve hundred dollar level. Uh, this is the eighth clue in the round, so fairly early. Uh, the clue says, This peninsula stretches south about 700 miles from the Isthmus of Craw to Singapore. And Beth uh, was the one who uncovered it, and she wagered 5,000 uh, and uh, correctly responded the what is the Malay Peninsula. Um, she also, before wagering, said, Faint heart never won fair maiden or game show. And then she didn't bet at all, which was unexpected to me. Mm. I, I really thought that was going to be followed with a, I'll bet it all. And then she bet 5,000 over 6,000, which is still a, a big bet. It's and, a big bet. And yeah. like not, not the wrong bet or anything. It mm-hmm. just, it was interesting to me to see her like make such a declarative statement and then, and then not do it all. Yeah. But she got it right. Um, yeah. Um, she hit daily double number three also. Uh, it was in the double letters in the middle category at the $2,000 level um, and uh, wagered 4000 at that point. The clue was an eight-letter Olympic game of horse. Um, and she knew she needed to come up with something that had double letters in the middle of the category, of course. She almost didn't make it in time you could really see her struggling for it she closed her eyes trying to get um trying to get it to come to her and then just as the time's up signal started to beep she said what is dressage um and made it just in time um and the uh the jeopardy social media page posted a little bit about this uh the jeopardy social media account on Facebook uh, posted a little bit about this, um, that they, in a situation like this, will slow the tape down. Um, I think that you have to be starting to say the correct response before the signal finishes, but I could be wrong about that. But they do have some standard about how much of the answer has to be out by what point. And we'll slow it down and play it back until they've decided whether you got in in time. Yeah. And it seemed they did. I mean, they did a good job editing mm-hmm. uh, to make it seamless for Alex responding, saying that uh, you barely got it in at time. Uh, but yeah. Yeah. So that worked out in her favor, which was it was I mean, that was cool to see. That was a 
that was an exciting an exciting pull to get to dressage i was stuck i was stuck on steeplechase because it had a double e and i'm like i know that's not in the middle but what else could it possibly be and then she said dressage and i was like oh it could be that that makes sense yeah yeah <laughs> good game overall um mm-hmm. especially yeah going into final jeopardy with the scores, Elise at nineteen thousand eight hundred and Beth at twenty one thousand four hundred. Uh, close game. Steven trailing way behind at twenty six hundred. Although he got some really good answers in there, you know, he he played a good game, just didn't go his way in terms of um, categories or buzzer or whatever the case may be. Yeah, yeah. So we get into final Jeopardy. Uh, Elise trailing by a mere uh, sixteen hundred dollars. Uh, the category is business 2019 and the clue is the new york stock exchange allowed jeans on the trading floor for the initial public offering of the stock with this four letter symbol and the correct response is what is levi l-e-v-i and that was the first thing that came to mind for me because it's four letters and it's a a name that I immediately associate with jeans. Mm-hmm. But it was... I, I tried to talk myself out of it because it was mind-boggling to me that that their, and that their IPO would be in 2019. Right. I never would have thought they, they were not public before that. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I thought Uber was a fine guess, sort of um, thinking about kind of the tension between like old school finance culture where you, you know, where you expect business dress versus kind of uh, new startup culture, which is much more casual. Um, uh, So I I could see where Elise was coming from going for Uber. Yeah. No, it wasn't. Yeah, it wasn't a bad guess. And and obviously, uh, like 2019, that makes sense. But I mean, fortunately for her, uh, it would not have it would not have won her the game had she gotten it right, uh, because right. Beth correctly identified Levi and made a cover bet, mm-hmm. uh, which ended up being a pretty big payday for a one day win thirty nine thousand six hundred one dollars. Oof, that's a yeah, lot of money. <laughs> that is, it sure is. Uh, at least wagered, I would say, too high. Um, I mean, I wagering math is tough, and not everybody learns how to wager from every position. Um, but she left herself vulnerable in a situation where everyone gets it wrong. Um, if you're in a close second, you have the advantage of being able to win the game in a situation where everyone gets it wrong. Um, right. And by making a really big wager, she put herself in a situation where Beth could have won, or I think possibly even Stephen could have stolen the game in a triple stumper. Yeah, because... Uh... Uh, Beth wagered 18,201 mm-hmm. which would bring he- her down to down to 3200. Yeah, and Stephen yeah. ended in thir- at 3500. So potentially, well I mean it, yeah, I guess that could have w- doubled all the way up to 5200 if he, you know, if he yeah. felt like it. Um Yeah. So, I mean a triple stumper Beth still would have won because Stephen would have been at 2600 or less, but but in a situation where both Beth and Elise get it wrong and Stephen gets it right, they could have, I don't want to say handed the game to Stephen, but yes, kind of being that far back, there are, <laughs> there are strategies yeah. that you should follow to, to kind of ensure that that person doesn't uh, end up with the win. Not that, you know, not that he wouldn't quote unquote deserve it, 
uh, right. if, if that were the case, because that's how the game goes. Um, but yeah. Yeah. I keep sort of uh, swapping back and forth between uh, triple stump, like thinking about what happens in a triple stumper and what happens in a situation where only the third place contestant gets it right, which mm-hmm. are, uh, of course, different situations. Um, but ones that you want to consider both of if you're uh, if you're in a close second place with third place trailing far behind because you you are able to cover both of those. Right. So going into Tuesday, uh, we have Ian Norris, an insurance broker from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Julie Chang, a product strategist from New York, New York. And Beth Stewart, a receptionist from Naperville, Illinois, uh, with one-day cash winnings of $39,601. Yeah, and she's also from Naperville, which I believe is where James Holtzauer is originally from. Hmm. And I think we've seen other champions from Naperville. Yeah. Hmm. I wonder what they put in the water there. Hmm. I would like some of that. (laughs) So uh, we get into the Jeopardy round. Uh, the, the, the sixth category of the round is scrambled eggs, which is another wordplay category, uh, mm-hmm. which we often see at the, in the last clue or the last category. Uh, mm-hmm. Wordplay or trick, you know, whatever. There's a gimmick usually in those categories. I particularly enjoyed it. I don't know, just because I like wordplay. Uh, Beth did particularly well in it. Oh, I think it took a couple of clues for Julie to catch on. Mm, yeah. Because um, she rang in for the $400 clue and then just kind of blanked and didn't didn't give a response. Mm-hmm. And I think, I don't know if she knew what the trick was and just wasn't able to rearrange the letters in time or if she th- rang in before she really thought about the answer. Right. So. But then she came back. Yeah, she came back on the on the six hundred and figured out unscrambled uh, the clue cod heap uh, to come up with poached. Mm-hmm. Beth pulled the eight hundred. Uh, the clue was nice deck. The response was Benedict. Um, nobody could unscramble uh, the thousand clue, which was flood bites, uh, which unscrambles to soft boiled. Which I take issue with, because soft boiled has a hyphen, and flood bites has no hyphen. Mm. Which I realize you could probably just leave the hyphen out and it would still be effectively the same thing. But yeah, Uh, we had another video clue category, which I know is uh, it's on my mind. um, (laughs) Yes, on your mind. (laughs) Um, uh, With uh, Sarah um, bringing video clues from um, Plymouth Plantation, uh, which is like a kind of living history thing in Massachusetts. Uh, those were those were interesting clues. I I learned some things. Mm-hmm. I think I'm a bit touchy about video categories uh, because uh, in my uh, regular season run, in the last game that I won, there was a category for the uh, Museum of Modern Art, and it was a mm-hmm. video video clue category, and. We, the contestants, got some flack online about going there first in the Double Jeopardy round. Oh, yep. (laughs) Which, I mean, yeah, strategically kind of does make sense to say don't go there first. But uh, it was, uh, if I recall, it was I was playing against Amanda and Bucky. Bucky was in third place, so he started there because he felt confident there. Um, Mm Mm-hmm. 
and then I was very strict to my top-down rule during that run. So he started the category, so I was going to finish it mm-hmm. before we moved on. By God. <laughs> so, <laughs> so yeah. But I, I don't know. I'm, I think that seeing that, that uh, getting that criticism has made me more uh, aware. Yeah. But, yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. And I mean, I think like uh, Jeopardy nerds will say like, oh, ideal clue selection strategy is to save the video clues for last in double Jeopardy because because uh, they're going to let the round keep going until all of those clues are played. But if they've all been played, then they'll cut you off early and blah, blah, mm-hmm. blah. Um, but I don't know. You have to you have to take into consideration like who you are and what category feels like it's going to work well for you. Um, not just... Uh, what will maximize the number of dollars available right um, yeah right uh and what style you like to play in so yeah you know Agreed. i don't know it's a game yeah and ultimately it's a game let's <laughs> yeah like we're we can be okay yeah all right so we find the daily double uh clue number 20 uh so fairly late in the round uh at the bottom of the big bodies of water category uh and it's the clue is around 900,000 square miles. This sea that touches North America and Asia. Uh, Beth uncovered it and correctly identified what is the Bering Sea. Uh, she wagered 1,200 on it. Uh, and the Bering Sea had already been guessed previously in mm-hmm. uh, on, the, on the, the clue before, the clue just above it at the $800 level, which was uh, about... 378,000 square miles also called the East Sea it borders uh, Sakhalin Island which uh, all three it was a triple stumper but one of the all three rang in with incorrect guesses yes not just a triple stumper but uh, what's what's the word for that where they all three get it wrong oh I don't know if there's a term for that that are we about to coin a phrase for this uh what would you call it, Kyle? I, I don't know. I didn't give it thought. Now the pressure's on. Yeah. I mean, we, we uh, Jeopardy folks often call it a neg if somebody gets it, you know, if somebody misses it. So a triple neg? I don't know. Uh, maybe we could come up with something, I, I, you know, oh, more fun. Sure. Maybe we can throw it out to our, our vast listening audience. Yes. Get suggestions. Uh, <laughs> for what? All dozen of you. No, just kidding. There's more than a dozen. <laughs> At um. least two dozen. <laughs> <laughs> all right let us know what we should call that yeah um, yeah we'll open it I, up maybe we'll do a like twitter it. poll yeah i like it when they all um i mean i don't actually like it but it feels a little more fair when they all miss it you know mm-hmm. because because then it doesn't um then then they've all lost the 800 instead of just you know just one or two of them losing the 800 yeah it's not as big a swing it only really yeah. matters if for whoever uh, reveals the daily double right um so moving into double jeopardy um, of course, I enjoyed American cathedrals and meeting God. Um, uh, the first clue I thought was, uh, sorry, the first clue in fun with G20 countries I thought was uh, kind of fun for Thanksgiving week. Uh, the clue was its name also refers to a creature known for its waddle. Uh, the answer, of course, being turkey. Mm-hmm. Um, so asking for the country turkey, but alluding to uh, the creature slash thanksgiving entree that's right which yeah. apparently uh apparently alexander hamilton made a very uh strong declaration one thanksgiving in washington dc that no american citizen should be deprived of turkey on thanksgiving 
truly uh truly a, a, a man of great vision yes yeah. yeah american hero yep all right we've got daily double number two the 14th clue at the 800 dollars level of the play doctor category um which has turned out to be about doctors in theater beth uncovered it and wagered 1800 uh the clue is Dr. Astroff and this title checkoff relative buy for the affections of another man's wife. Um, and she correctly responded, um, what is Uncle Vanya? Mm-hmm. Or who is Uncle Vanya? I guess it asks for the, uh, the person, right. the title of the play. Although it, it doesn't matter for yeah. Jeopardy purposes. Whether you say who is or what is, you can, you can even get cute, although you probably shouldn't. Right. Um, <laughs> the joke is, should I respond, what about? Or what yeah. do you think of? Yeah. Like, they're all questions. Um, yep. There was that moment some years ago where somebody, I don't remember their response, but she had rung in with an incorrect response. And then further down in the same category was a clue that was pointing to the response that had previously been incorrect. And she rang in and said something like, it's not such and such now, is it? Um, which is a question. Yep. Uh, so she was ruled correct. Anyway, Beth got it correct. Uh, Beth, yeah, Beth played a strong game in this. And Julie, yeah. Julie and Ian kept, uh, they couldn't, I don't know, they just couldn't seem to get their stride going. Like they'd, yeah. they'd get one or two and then and then miss one or Beth would get in and get a few. And Daily Devil number three came in the American Cathedral's category at the $1,200 level, uh, almost at the end of the round, clue number 28. And uh, it says, or the clue is, both Spanish and French governors worshipped at a church on the site of what is now this city's St. Louis Cathedral. Beth forgot the category, it, it seems like, because she yeah. takes a little bit of time and guesses what is Paris. Mm-hmm. And Alex says, no, New Orleans, we're talking about America. And, and then Beth says, oh, I've been there, too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, it happens. But she only wagered 2000 and dropped down. Uh, um, she drops down a little bit, but she picks up the, the next clue, and then the last clue loses some. But the, it, it's kind of a moot point uh, by, that, by that time because uh, she goes into Final Jeopardy with a lock game at 16,800. But Julie and Ian uh, are neck and neck at 6,400 and 6,200, but out of reach, so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so they get the Final Jeopardy category political phrases. Um, The clue is speechwriter Samuel Rosenman said FDR attached no importance to this phrase, two monosyllables in a 1932 speech. And uh, none of the none of the contestants were able to come up with the correct response. Um, Ian guessed what is okay. Um, I mean, okay. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> which is it? Which, yeah, if you don't know. <laughs> yeah, sure. Um, and I think I think there's some sort of uh, the origin of the phrase okay is kind of disputed. Um, but you know, that's a fine guess. Um, I guess and. Uh, Julie guesses fear itself, uh, which is a you know a good guess, except that it doesn't fit with two monosyllables. Yeah, which um, Alex pointed out. Yes, obviously thinking of the famous FDR quote: "The only thing we have to fear is fear itself," which is in 
iambic hexameter. Um, anyway, so thinking of uh, thinking of that quote, um, Beth has Beth has figured out that uh, fear itself doesn't fit with two monosyllables, so she guesses just what is itself. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the correct response is what is New Deal. Um, so Beth drops down some, but that's okay because she had a lot game. Uh, so she finishes with fourteen thousand and comes back the next day as our champion again. Yeah. Did you get to New Deal? I yes, yes, I did. Nice. So did I. It took me. I mean, it took me a little bit. Uh, of course, nineteen thirty-two. You had to think before, before the war. It couldn't have been any of the wartime speeches. Couldn't have been mm-hmm. anything like that. Yeah, just thinking about two monosyllables, New Deal came to mind. And I was like, oh, yeah. Because I remember the, the speech, he's just saying it's a new deal for the American people or something like that. Which, mm-hmm. just like when Teddy Roosevelt, you know, coined the square deal, he wasn't, he wasn't you know, laying out a, a policy agenda with a big, you know, block letter title, square deal at the top. It's just the, the name that people glommed on to for this is what we're going to call this whole thing. Yeah. So. All right. So that brings us into Wednesday. Uh, We have Ellen Keene, a librarian from Stoneham, Massachusetts. Nice pronunciation. Was that right? That was good. Because I just assume anything in Massachusetts, I pronounce it incorrectly. Yeah. No, you, I think, I believe you had that. Good. Good. Yeah. I don't Uh, know any from anyone from Stoneham, but that's, uh, that's how I would pronounce that. Okay. Uh, we we could talk about Massachusetts pronunciations maybe later. Oh, <laughs> and you you mostly just have to memorize them. Yeah, you have to ask someone who's from there and be like, yeah. "Cool." So I kind of ignore the spelling. Um, yeah. Anyway, we also have uh, Ben Zhang, a medical student from Hempstead, New York, and Beth Stewart, a receptionist from Naperville, Illinois, a returning champion who's two days cash winnings now total fifty three thousand six hundred and one dollars which uh, is still a very nice amount for two days. Yes, it sure is. I really enjoyed the British novel haiku category in the Jeopardy round, Uh, partially because it's wordplay, partially because it's, you know, literature identification, which Mm -hmm. as much as I don't feel terribly confident in literature, I still enjoy that trivia realm. I'm not, I don't know. I don't know why I get a lot of, I think I'm about 50, 50 on, literature questions but i still Mm. like them yeah i enjoyed that category as well although i think uh people who are scholars of haiku would tell you there's more to it than just five seven five syllables and that you know making it five seven five does not necessarily you know make it a haiku in the original sense of that poetic term but anyway yes it was it was a fun category how did you do uh, I actually did pretty well. Uh, I got, well, I got three of them. I got the $200 clue, Orphan Asylum, or the Parish Boys Progress. How Dickensian. That's Oliver, Oliver Twist. The exclamation point there, I think, alludes to the film Oliver uh, with an exclamation point. $400 clue, No Man's on Island. Schoolboys have a bad field trip. Simon says, please stop. That is Lord of the Flies. Uh, $600 clue I did not get. I, I was neg-baited to. A year yep, in the life. Yeah, I fell for that one. 
cigarettes accounted for is Darcy the one. And of course I see Darcy and I'm like, pride and prejudice done and done. Yeah, Uh, I did that too. (laughs) Ben also guessed that, uh, but it was actually Bridget Jones's diary, which should have, I mean, cigarettes should have at least geared me like, like guided me a little bit away from pride and prejudice, but whatever. Yeah. No, I mean, you see Darcy and you're like, I know that. Yeah. Um, And I have, I've never read Bridget Jones's diary or seen the movies. I have no desire to. It does not appeal to yeah. me. So there was no way I was going to get there. But mm-hmm. uh, $800 clue. Uh, I got that. The time machine. It's Morlocks and Eloi. Man, the years really fly by. A wells of info. In college, I just decided one like one month. I was, I was like, H.G. Wells books are very short. So I'm just going to read them. <laughs> Like, right now. So I read The nice. Time Machine and The Invisible Man and uh, uh, War of the Worlds. Uh, and, and then The $1,000 Clue I, I did not get to, but I should have. Yeah, I, I got that one. A Wolf Epistle, Clarissa Explains It All, Let's Meet the Misses. Um, so I thought about a, a Virginia Woolf novel with uh, with Misses in the title right. um, to get to Mrs. Dalloway. Right, which, which when it was revealed, or when it was uh, answered, I was like, oh, yeah. I do know that. <laughs> uh, in the back to black category at the 800 level, we had the clue, Germans enjoy a sandwich of this black bread slathered with lard between two slices of rye. The correct response was pumpernickel. Um, and it sort of went past me initially. And then I, I went back and said, wait a minute, between two slices of rye. And so it sounds like that is just a bread sandwich like it's a sandwich with bread on the outside and then the filling is also bread yeah so i'm just i'm just curious about that anyway we got the daily double uh video daily double at clue number 26 it was the 800 level in the category on the ground floor ellen hit it and wagered 1600 Um, And then the clue was, the massive underwriting room occupies the ground floor of the London headquarters of this company. Um, And she correctly responded, uh, what is Lloyd's of London? Mm -hmm. Which made me realize that I know nothing about Lloyd's of London. Yes, me too. (laughs) I missed a question about it on Learned League um, at a time when I did not know that it was a thing. I haven't done any any subsequent research, so now I know that Lloyd's of London exists, but that's about where my knowledge ends. Yeah. All right, so we go into the double Jeopardy round. Ellen has a pretty good lead at 7,400 over Beth at 3,800 and Ben at 3,400. I got very excited about a number of these uh, categories. First one is in the opera cast. Mm-hmm. Second one is Words, Words, Words. Third is Joshua Fit yeah. the Battle. Fourth is Celebrity Artists. Fifth is Pharmacy Knowledge. That one did not excite me. Uh, and the fifth one is We Share That Water, which is a geography category. Yeah. I think Pharmacy Knowledge excited Ben, though, because he's a med student. Sure. Up against, up against a librarian and a receptionist. So I think he figured that he yeah. probably had the edge in that category and headed for it. Yeah, um, which is exactly what he did. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we jump over to the the opera category pretty early, um, mm-hmm. and I I was impressed. I was impressed by the 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 contestants 
knowledge of opera. Obviously, I think opera is one of those things that if you're going to be on Jeopardy, you probably spend some time studying mm -hmm. um, because it does come up uh, quite frequently and it's outside of a lot of people's normal milieu. The four clues that were revealed in the category were correctly answered uh, by the first person to ring in, which was, to me, pretty impressive. Because, like, the $2,000 clue, uh, it makes sense that Manrico in this Verdi opera sings beautifully. He is, quote, the troubadour, which, I mean, if you know the Italian word for troubadour, it is the title of the opera, Il Travatore. Uh, but if you don't if you don't know that that's a Verdi opera already, you're probably not going to just go down that path on a $2,000 guess. Uh, but mm -hmm. Ben gets in with El Travatore. The next clue, he goes up one. Uh, this In this opera, Canio tells Netta more or less, I'm funny how, like I'm a clown, I amuse you, then stabs her, which is a fun a fun clue. Uh, but it is Il Pagliacci. Uh, and then the, the two above that, they get to and they, they correctly identify uh, Luci de Lammermoor and Madame mm -hmm. Butterfly, which I think Madame Butterfly is a little more commonly known. Uh, but uh, the three the three higher higher level clues I thought were were pretty good, like for the contestants yeah. to get. Yeah, impressive. Uh, celebrity artists was uh, kind of was kind of fun. Um, uh, it was uh, people who are you know celebrities in their own right who also do art. So mm -hmm. we had um, a clue about Stevie Nicks. Uh, this. The clue was, this singer paints angels, one in an artwork called Rhiannon, uh, which Beth got. Uh, we had, they had, the contestants had to identify uh, the Irish James Bond actor who painted Bisou Moi, or Kiss Me, for wife Keely Shea Smith. Uh, that was Pierce Brosnan. Um, and, uh, I mean, there were others in there. Um, I couldn't remember the name of the actor who played Lando Calrissian. The, uh, the clue was, among this African-American actor's paintings are self-portraits self as Lando Calrissian. Billy D. Yeah. It's Billy, Billy D. Williams. That one, I mean, you know it or you don't, just like trivia. Yeah. Yep. That, well, one I, that, I <laughs> that one I would have, yeah, I'd have been all over that one. Daily Double number two came at clue number seven. Uh, ben hit it in the words, words, words category at the 1600 level. Uh, the clue was this adjective once indicated craftsmanship. Now it means fake. He didn't get it. Um, I, I, was it just me who shouted forgery at the TV? Mm, um, maybe. I, I went with fabricated. Ah, yes. Forgery, I guess, is a noun. Um fabricated I think they would have had to think about that I mean if it never in, if it never indicated craftsmanship right but I don't know yeah yeah in, in any case the the correct response is artificial which Ben did not get mm-hmm mm -hmm. uh, and he made a he was going for a big move he wagered 3500 and mm -hmm. that that took him out which you know it's double jeopardy yeah you go for it it's the game yes uh, and Daily Double number three uh, came in the We Share That Water category uh, at clue number 22, so much later in the round. Uh, Beth uncovered it and wagered 4,800. Uh, I believe she was trailing Ellen a little bit at the time and wanted to make a big move. And the clue uh, is Lake Powell 
two of the four corner states. And so she, uh, she, she guesses what are Nevada and Utah, which Nevada is not one of the four corner states. Right. But uh, the correct response is Utah and Arizona, which mm-hmm. is also in that area. You know, Nevada borders Utah and borders Arizona right down in that corner where, right. where Lake Powell is. So it's like it wasn't a bad guess, except that Nevada is not one of the four corner states. Right. Uh, but she gets it wrong. And she, I mean, she clearly knew where it was because, you know, uh, the Hoover Dam and Lake Powell are right, right there. Oh, okay. Down at the southern, southern tip of of Nevada. Yeah. But that drops her down, uh, and and essentially makes it uh, so that Ellen can have a lock game going into Final Jeopardy. Uh, yeah. You know, there's still clues that they go through, and Beth gets some, Ellen gets some, they get some wrong, uh, but but we go into Final Jeopardy with uh, Ellen locking the game at 14,200. So a pretty low-scoring game for a lock mm-hmm. game. Yeah. They get the Final Jeopardy category movie quotes, and then the clue is revealed the two single-word quotes on AFI's list of the top 100 movie quotes. One is from 1941, the other from 1967. And none of them were able to get it. I was not either. No, I wasn't either, and I bet no one was. I thought this was absurdly difficult. I thought it was hard. Um, and uh, like Beth, I guessed Stella, mm-hmm. which I guess is not on the list. Ben guessed nuts and, and then couldn't come up with a second uh, second word. Uh, Beth guessed what are Stella and, and couldn't come up with a second ro- word. Ellen had what is Rosebud and um, so she was the only one to get one of the two correct. Right. Which show, which I think shows to me that if the clue had been give us one of these quotes it would have been mo- like appropriately difficult. Right. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah Rosebud um, from Citizen Kane and Plastics from The Graduate. Yeah I think I think it was a it was a super hard final jeopardy probably would have been better to ask for one of the two yeah i yeah i i got to rosebud just because 1941 i was like okay citizen Mm -hmm. kane is afi's top movie so it's gotta be you know something has to be from it and the notable quote from citizen kane is rosebud right at least the one word quote so Mm -hmm. and then 1967 i was trying to think i was like what could it possibly be I was I would never have gotten there yeah I was trying to think if there was a one word quote from uh planet of the apes for some reason well I mean it's in Uh, that time but there's yeah yeah planet of the apes I just uh uh googled it quick so that I wouldn't make a fool of myself on the podcast it was 1968 so I was in about the right time period yeah but uh yeah completely wrong movie wrong genre genre Uh, yeah but I mean, who, who's all we know? It's a one-word quote from a movie. Yeah. It, yeah. That I thought that was way, way too hard. Yeah. I mean, I've spent a fair amount of time with those lists and didn't get it. Um, mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Yeah. It was a, it was a very hard Final Jeopardy. But for uh, a, a clue that you know, to me seems too difficult, it didn't end up really mattering because it was a lock game so 
at least you know beth and ben don't have to wrestle with the thought of like ugh, we got this really hard final jeopardy and that meant meant that i you know wasn't able to win right you know so yeah so that's that's okay uh but that means that ellen is our new champion uh with eleven thousand two hundred dollars so that takes us to thursday uh we have alex damish a data scientist from chicago illinois Jamin Spear, an economics professor from Memphis, Tennessee, and Ellen Keene, a librarian from Stoneham, Massachusetts, uh, with one day total winnings of $11,200. Yeah, and we started the week with Beth, who was from Naperville, which is, I believe, in like Chicago land. So we've had a lot of people from the Chicago area. They must have they must have had an audition there and i don't know must have been pulling a lot of people from that part of the part of the country yeah i think so yeah so uh we get into the jeopardy round uh and we get the categories getting cult feet talking about cult not cold from g to g each word starts and ends with g unfix the song title chess talk uh pompous and circumstance which was a fun little play on words there yeah yeah uh the from g to g i believe was the first clue that got revealed um and i think the contestants didn't understand what it was supposed to be uh and they they seemed a little uh put off by it they hit their stride after a minute though um Mm -hmm. uh with a gosling and ginseng Mm mm-hmm um, unfixed the song title was a really fun category yes i really enjoyed that one it was um uh so the idea was um they took a uh grammatically incorrect song title and uh fixed the grammar in it and then you were supposed to produce the title of the song the you know the the original title of the song right which was interesting because i i've never given the time to think about it you know but a lot of uh, a lot of what we know is just really grammatically incorrect. Yeah, I thought they were really fun. Fun clues, though. Um, at the 800 level, we had um, a 70s smash from Bachman Turner o- Overdrive. You have not seen anything yet. Uh, <laughs> that really, really gives the energy of that song, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, that, of course, being you ain't seen nothing yet. Uh, yeah, I, I think the I think the contestants had a good time with it too. Yep, Alex hit the daily double at the eight hundred level in Pompous, and wagered thirteen hundred twelve. So I wonder if that has some um, like some personal significance to her, or uh, if she was. Um, sometimes people, uh, I think, maybe wager unusual amounts also because. Um, it can make the math more difficult. That doesn't seem like her style to me, though. No, um, I think I think she she probably had in her mind that if I get a daily double, I got to do this for you know a person or a thing. That's what it seemed like yeah. to me. Yeah. So she got the clue. This capital city of thirteen million sits on the northeast edge of the Pampas. Mm-hmm. Which she was not able to pull. I. I wonder if she doesn't necessarily know where the Pampas is, because um, I—I mean, I—I 
see hear pompous and think argentina because mm-hmm. that's you know basically where it is so yeah she she guessed caracas um which i i mean if you know if you're guessing south america i guess that's not a bad yeah, guess but not a bad guess um i will i will embarrass myself to you and the listeners that clue came up and i turned to my three-year-old daughter and in my confident daddy voice said that's rio de janeiro and then he said buenos aires and i was like that is exactly what i actually meant to say and pictured in my head on the map but i just said rio which glad i wasn't on the show because i i don't i don't know how i would have handled that like because i was picturing buenos aires in argentina Mm-hmm. And the name that I yeah the name that came to mind was Rio and yeah oof oh that it Oops. it hurt it hurt me yeah uh, I'm so sorry Kyle although that that's better than me I I was uh, I was struggling to think I, I knew I knew I recognized it as a geographic term but I just couldn't quite place it you know you know that feeling where mm-hmm. like you see a proper noun and you're like I know something about that but I can't like mm. quite uh, contextualize it yeah um yeah and I think. Have it, having that be the first clue revealed in the category, I don't know what I would have guessed. So she drops down to $88, which makes her uh, her her uh, score for the rest of the game an interesting one. So uh, there's a chess talk category. And uh, if you recall, which anyone aside from like myself and Dhruv and Emma probably don't recall... Uh, in our semifinal game, we had a chess category, uh, and I gave a pretty embarrassing answer on one of them uh, about the Queen's Gambit, and I said, what is a queen, which would have been dumb. Um, but this category came up, and I I got all of them, and I was like, man, <laughs> why couldn't these have been the ones in my game? Yeah, I uh, I liked this chess category. I thought it was uh, thought it was a, a good sort of variety of clues. Um, I I did pretty well, except I didn't know um, the X-ray one. Um, an attack that forces a piece to move and expose another piece behind it is called this after a type of beam discovered in 1895. Yeah, I've um, I've never heard that as for some reason I said laser, which doesn't make any laser. sense. Laser. Yeah, I've I've never I've never heard that in a chess setting, but yeah, um, a ray discovered in 1895 that that should be X-ray. Yeah, a yeah. beam that doesn't you know that reveals something behind something. Yeah, um, but I had the rest of them. I like seeing en passant because that was uh, something that I like. One of my weird chess facts that I knew without actually being any good at chess. Mm-hmm. Um, as like a like maybe a seven or eight year old kid yeah yeah so going into double jeopardy uh ellen is in last place at 1600 alex is just ahead of her at 1688 and uh jamin is in the lead at 3600 so uh a pretty low scoring jeopardy round uh Mm -hmm. overall but the players are still close together so it's still a game in Double Jeopardy, we get the categories Statuesque Authors, Where the Fish Are, 
Oscar-winning adapted screenplays, Miranda's Right, 12-Letter Words, and Dictator Tots, which was just tickled my fancy, that, that name. All right, well, I will, I will note that when Miranda's Right came on the screen, I was, uh, it was Thanksgiving, I had a room full of people, and everyone shouted Lin-Manuel at the TV. Yeah. You so. hear that, Lin? We're ready for you. <laughs> Anytime you want to come on. Yeah. I thought the um, the Oscar-winning adapted screenplays category was what's tough. Like these were these were pretty tricky. I thought for um. Yes, I incorrectly identified other works by the authors. I think three out of five times. <laughs> Ooh, ouch! <laughs> Rather than the one that like uh, was was the one that actually became a screenplay that won an Oscar. <laughs> yeah. Um, let's see. I did get uh, The Pianist um, mm-hmm. at the 800 level. That was uh, 2002 Ronald Harwood from the memoir by Polish musician Vladislav Spielman, um, uh, The Pianist. And I also got 2005... Larry McMurtry and Diana Osana based on a short story by Annie Proulx, uh that is Brokeback Mountain. Man, um, there are so many movies in 2005 that were like really good. Yeah. Because the only, like, I saw 2005 and I was like, oh, it's Crash. Done. It's not Crash. Mm, yeah. <laughs> we get Daily Double number two in the Miranda's Right category at the $2,000 level. About halfway through the round, Alex finds it. Uh, wagers twenty five hundred, and gets the clue: the smallest moon of Uranus, Miranda, was discovered by this Dutchman, better known for his comet belt. And she correctly identifies Kuiper, which I imagine was a guess because I—I mean, I would have guessed Kuiper, given that's the belt. Yeah, um, Kuiper also is uh, sort of a like a classically Dutch name. Um, sure, I'm living that... in an area that has like a lot of Dutch heritage, and so I'm like I can sort of pick the Dutch words out of things pretty easily now. Mm-hmm. So that that U Y uh, yeah. pronounced as I combo that's uh, that um, points to Dutch for me. Although I didn't know anything about that particular astronomer. Um, I mean, I knew of the Kuiper Belt, but you know, sure, yeah. Um, and so then, of course, uh, after that, we get our uh, the question we've been waiting for in Miranda's right. Lin Manuel Miranda wrote songs with heart for this 2016 animated film about the search for the heart of Tefiti. Yes, which is Moana. Yes. Yes, we love Moana here. Oh, Moana is great, uh, and Ellen Ellen got that one. So uh, yay! She didn't seem certain and adamant about it in the way that you know i would have as a an unrepentant lin-manuel miranda fangirl in a house where we watch moana on a loop all the time Um, yeah no i i would have i would have very very strongly sung who Who is is moana Moana? yes exactly yes and i don't want to do that right now because i don't want to wake up my daughter because she (laughs) will want to watch moana if she hears that yep uh, all right, and then Daily Double number three. Uh, it's in the statuesque authors category at the $1,600 level, 22nd pick. 
and Jamin finds it. So this category shows images of statues of authors and gives a clue about them and uh, you are supposed to identify the author, which would be a lot easier for me if I could also see the clue like you can as an actual contestant because as a contestant there's a screen off to the side like we've talked about it's a little TV off next to the game board where you look for the video clues uh, and then the clue itself like the the words to the clue show up on the game board like normal so you're able to mm -hmm. read the clue like normal although they will um, sometimes the the clue for those um video clues will be longer than they can fit on the game board, in which case you'll get the first portion of it and then a, an ellipsis in the middle yeah. and then the end so that you can see what words you're looking for, what words you're waiting for um, that you'll be able to ring in afterwards. Um, but usually there'll be enough of the clue on the game board that even if they have to um, drop a few words in the middle, uh, you can you can figure out what you're uh, what it's going for this author or this you know this city or whatever the case may be right yep so the clue is much of her sixth century bc poetry is lost but her reputation as a female writing pioneer remains um and uh jamin correctly responds uh who is sappho um uh picks up three thousand um so does he take the lead at that point? I think he took the lead at that point. Yes, he does. He moves up ahead of up ahead of Alex, um, and I'm I bet that Stephen Grade is feeling a little bit chafed after that one if he was watching, because yeah. isn't in right because he had that guess of Sappho. Yep. Um, because of Learned League that day, putting the name Sappho in our brains. Learned League. Ugh. Yeah. Come on, Thorsten. Yeah. We're pretty sure he's a Jeopardy writer. Just kidding. But not really. So we move into Final Jeopardy. Jamin is in the lead at 10,600. Uh, Alex is pretty close behind him at 9,788. And Ellen is at 6,400. So it's a fairly tight game. Uh, could be anybody's game. Uh, wagering strategy would be a, a little more complicated for Alex, given how close Ellen is and how close she is to Jamin. Uh, and we get the Final Jeopardy category, Word Origins. So the clue is, uh, from a Sanskrit word for descent, it's the form a god takes on descending to Earth. Um, did you get this one, Kyle? I did. I had it uh, right too. away. Yes. Yeah. So the correct response is, uh, what is Avatar? Mm -hmm. And and <laughs> do you do you watch Parks and Rec? Have we talked about this? I've watched a little bit of Parks and Rec. Okay. I uh, I like it. I feel like I could become a Parks and Rec fan, but I just haven't. I haven't put the time into like fully immerse. Um, okay. But I've liked what I've seen. Okay. There there is an episode in kind of in the middle of the series with Andy Samberg. Uh, who he's playing a park ranger who is incapable of modulating the pitch or volume of his voice. <laughs> uh, and at one point, he just... <laughs> there's a line in there. Did you guys see Avatar? 
I never saw Avatar. And that has always stuck in my brain whenever I hear the word Avatar now. So I can't I can't hear that word not in Andy Samberg's voice. It's funny. Uh, so uh, Ellen wagered almost everything, which um, I don't think that's what I would have done in this situation. Um, because in this situation, I think you would expect first and second place to make big enough wagers that they would drop potentially drop down below you if they got it wrong. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, uh, but she guessed what is corporeal and missed. I um, uh, was left with ten dollars. Alex wagers three thousand thirteen, uh, which takes her up to twelve thousand eight hundred one. So it looks like she was trying to cover for Ellen's all in. Mm-hmm. And she originally wrote down what is incarnation. Um, which is another fine guess, but she crossed it out and wrote down what is Avatar. Um, yeah. uh, so uh, so she's got it. Um, Jamin uh, w- guesses what is Guru uh, and has wagered 9,000. So he drops down to 1,600, lands in second place, and Alex will be our returning champion for Friday. Yep. Little little interesting aside, um, the different avatars of Vishnu, if you go through the... the the stories in Hinduism of the different uh, times throughout the history of the world that Vishnu has descended to Earth and taken on different forms. Um, it it seems to at least reflect, if not necessarily support, the theory of evolution because his his avatars sort of move uh, progressively from like from like fish to uh land-based creatures reptiles mammals into humans uh throughout the stories that's interesting yeah yeah and so like you said that brings us to friday okay so we get gabrielle merkin a student assessment specialist from washington dc emma wall a graduate student from la jolla california and Alex Damish, a data scientist from Chicago, Illinois, whose one day to cash winnings total $12,801. And now I might be a little uh, biased, but when a player comes on named Emma, I assume they're going to win. Mm. So I kind of I figured that's where that was going to go. Spoiler, I was wrong. Um, so we get our categories, uh, the Old West this category is full of vinegar uh, before and after which is always very exciting um entrepreneurs who wrote it <laughs> and the wwe slammy awards which like that's one of those categories where you see it come out and you're like oh yeah no none probably none of us are into our our big wwe people i mean i don't want to stereotype i'm sure there were jeopardy folks who are oh they're uh, there are yeah i mean um, i mean I, i'm not necessarily plugging other podcasts but at least two trivia podcasts that i've listened to uh are hosted by multiple people who are way into wrestling yeah like, like they would know all of them all of these questions very easily okay I well, never, never, ever got into it. 
Yeah, I I can't claim to be a wrestling fan at all. Um, uh, I'm trying to remember how the contestants did with that category. They left it for just about last, if I'm remembering correctly. Mm-hmm. Um, which you know, fair enough. And headed for before and after, my favorite. Yeah, it's classic. Yep. This category is full of vinegar. I thought was kind of a fun uh, category title. Uh, the questions were actually about vinegar, but I guess uh, I guess the idiom means like energetic. Yeah, um, I think it's pretty old. <laughs> yeah, I haven't heard that idiom many times, but uh, mm. um, but it sort of rang a bell. Um, but then to get a bunch of questions that were about like balsamic and apple cider vinegar and. Uh, can't remember what else was in there oh malt vinegar malt Malt vinegar vinegar. with your fish and chips Mm. yes now i want fish and chips i always want fish and chips that's not um yeah in the in the who wrote it category the the one thousand dollar clue uh the 1986 memoir all god's children need traveling shoes uh was a triple triple stumper um and the correct response is maya angelou which i in studying uh, women, women authors, like I, you know, mentioned that I had Maya Angelou was one of them, and she has like seven memoirs or something yeah. like that. Like she, she has a lot of memoirs. Like we, we read uh, "I Know Why the Caged Bird Sings" in school, but that's just the first one. She has a whole, like her whole life, laid out in mm-hmm. all of these books, um, and I rem- and that that stuck with me because i was like i never knew that i wasn't even aware of i wasn't even aware to look for those um i was not able to uh place that one but it rang a bell rang a bell once i heard it um uh the daily double um was at the 600 level in the old west category um alex uncovered it alex wagered um 1500 she had 2800 at the time and got the clue this arizona site that entered old west legend in 1881 had livery and feed stables in its full name um and she uh she was able to correctly respond uh what is the okay corral um so that got her uh got her a bit of a lead you ever seen the movie tombstone i have not Mm, should i yeah if only for val kilmer as doc holiday like everyone's okay. good like it's a good movie but that is a memorable role all right i'll put it on my list unless unless for some reason you don't like val kilmer then then i would no. say don't watch that movie i can't say i have any <laughs> yeah, especially I <laughs> strong opinion either way about you val you, kilmer. you nothing val kilmer <laughs> <laughs> yeah i'll put it on my list all right so going into double jeopardy Alex is in the lead at 5,300. Gabrielle is right behind at 5,000. And Emma will select first uh, with 2,800. Um, a much higher scoring game than yesterday, than, than the day before, which is nice to see. And all of them are getting in. They're all, they're all getting good play. So, All right, so Double Jeopardy, we get the categories The Old West, but different than the previous round, When TV Was Free. Women of Science. Random facts, which is just Jeopardy. Keeping up with the Kennedys. <laughs> ends story. in SS, um, which 
I don't know. To me, I feel like SS has forever been labeled as as a negative thing. Mm. Just hearing SS, you know, brings to mind certain things. Yeah. So. <clears throat> yeah. And that could just, you know, that could not be the general consensus. And it is technically true, all of those correct responses end in SS, but maybe yeah. say ends in double S. That would feel better. Yeah. Emma starts with the women of science category, which makes sense, given that all three contestants are women. Mm-hmm. I kind of figured they'd, they'd go there, uh, and they yeah. did very well, which also makes sense. Um, I also... I, I feel pretty proud of myself having uh, gotten four out of five out of the category. Uh, nice. Good job. Thanks. I think I got five out of five. I think they. I think that computer would have been acceptable for the um, the Ada Lovelace. Yeah, computer uh, program. Clue. Um, yeah, yeah. Daughter of Lord Byron, Ada Lovelace created one of these for a machine devised by Charles. Babbage. Yeah, but they did very well in that category, and uh, good on you for also doing well. I uh, I got five out of five. Thanks. I missed the AIDS one. Yeah. I did not know what AZT was. I I said HIV. I think, I don't know if they would have accepted it because they said uh, this condition. Um, So AIDS is a condition, HIV is a a virus, virus, but if I remember correctly, if, if I remember correctly, people would take AZT if they were HIV positive. So that's what I was thinking of. Um, Okay. So we get daily double number two at the bottom of the uh, women of science category. Uh, The clue is Vera Rubin confirmed the existence of this component of the universe originally dubbed missing mass. And Alex uh, correctly identifies dark matter. And she wagered 5,000. She was already in the lead with 8,100. Um, uh, Gabrielle had 5,000 uh, in mm-hmm. second place at the time. Um, uh, so it's a confident wager, but you know that's that's appropriate given that like you know she has really like hit the hit the Jeopardy category lottery, right? Like you right. know that's she but, is a woman. <laughs> she is a woman of science. Yes. So. Uh, yeah. If you're a woman <laughs> of science, hitting the Daily Double in the women of science category, like. I mean, I guess, you know, f- fair decision not to bet at all from the lead, um, but, you know, risking getting uh, getting something she doesn't know. Um, yeah. Is, uh, I, think she, I think she is uh, right to make a confident wager in that case. Um, so that takes all, all the way up to, uh, to thir- 13,100, which um, I think she didn't keep it as a lock game throughout i don't think she had a lock no she did not right but it does it gives her a good lead at that point Mm -hmm. and then daily double number three comes at nearly the end second to last clue uh in keeping up with the kennedys at the 1600 dollar level it's gabrielle who hits that one and gets the clue timothy and bobby shriver both serve on the board that sponsors this international sports competition founded by their mom Eunice and she has wagered a thousand at that point um she uh correctly responds um what are the special olympics mm-hmm. and comes up to 7600 um which takes her just out just like just barely back up into contention i would say a 
bigger wager at that point would have served her well. Although, to be fair, a lot of those Kennedy clues had been basically like a picture and can you name this Kennedy? Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> no, I think maybe only one picture, you know. But like, if you're not confident that you that you know your Kennedys, Kennedys, yeah, um, <laughs> and uh, can name a sixteen hundred dollar level Kennedy, like a, a conservative wager is fair, I guess. Yeah, um, and with only two thousand dollars on the board left, you know that if you get it wrong, you have one shot to kind of bring yourself back up. Yeah. So. I don't, I don't necessarily blame her on that wager, but I mean, on the other hand, I think you're more likely to get any given double Jeopardy question than any given final Jeopardy question. That's right. So Um, yeah, I think that that's how I would think about it. Um, Somebody once said to me, why doesn't everyone just make it a daily double all the time? Um, And I was like, well, you know, the math and the confidence. And they're like, well, you know, but like the double jeopardy questions are so much easier than the final jeopardy questions that wouldn't you want to you know get whatever advantage you could get at that point um, yeah and that, which, I mean, you know that's, that's a, fair it's a fair approach but anyway uh she gets herself you know up into contention versus alex um by getting up to 7600 versus alex's 14300 they get the uh the final jeopardy category classic british novels the clue is the title character of this novel says of his home, the wind breathes cold through the broken battlements and casements. I did not get this one, although oh. it is one of Jeopardy's favorite things to favorite. ask about. Yeah, I think yeah. Uh, the, the correct response is what is Dracula? Uh, I did get there. It was definitely not the first one I came to. Um, my first thought was Heathcliff from Wuthering Heights, but I was like that. But that's not a title character, right? Um, I kept I kept coming back to various settings, and that would get me to novels that were named after their settings. Right. Not all the novels I thought of were British. Uh, yeah, right. And that's I mean we saw that um, Emma's response of The Hunchback of Notre Dame. That's not a British novel. It's a French novel. Right. Aside from that, not a bad guess. Yeah, it's a triple stumper. Not, none of them get Dracula. Yep. Uh, yeah, so Emma guesses, as you said, Hunchback of Notre Dame. Um, Gabrielle couldn't come up with anything. Um, and uh, Emma wagered almost everything, drops down to 100. Gabrielle wagered 6,001. Um, yeah, trying to cover covering Emma's all-in. So she ends up dropping down to 1599, coming in second. Alex guesses Tristram Shandy. Not a bad guess. Um, you know, she came up with a British novel with a title character, so, yeah. you know, it's better than I managed. Um, she wagered 901, um, which is a cover bet, uh, so she drops down to 13399, and we'll see her again on Monday. Yes, we will. All right, so, Kyle, do you have guesses about where we're going on the deep dive? Um... You know, I I don't want to railroad you and assume that we are going to do something like, uh, you know, the the American cathedrals or the uh, God. Talk to me. What was it called? Meeting. Was it meeting God? Um, something like that. Yeah. 
Um, so I'm going to purposely avoid those. Oh. Is that incorrect? <laughs> we, we are going to one of those. Okay. Categories. Okay. Well, okay. Then, then no, I don't have a good guess. <laughs> um, no, I, I was thinking one of the, maybe the philosophy mm. clues that we actually didn't really talk about at all. Um, but there were some there were some triple stumpers in there, and I thought maybe that would uh, that would oh, push yeah. you toward like John Locke and uh, Francis Bacon with empiricism, which I got mm-hmm. both. Um, I thought, yeah, me too. Yeah, so I thought maybe that would push you in the in that direction to maybe talk a little bit about that. But no, yeah, I um, was wrong. That yeah, that's a fine guess. No, I did actually. I, it was just too tempting. I had to go for it. Uh, I I thought for a little bit about. Uh, heading for a dressage i thought a little bit about trying to do a deep dive on deep fakes um Ooh, no no yeah. no 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 this is a family <laughs> podcast yeah uh so um uh but yeah i know the american cathedrals category was too tempting and um there was a triple stumper at the two thousand dollar level in the american cathedrals category on tuesday um the clue was nicknamed saint john the unfinished this new york city cathedral is the world's largest gothic one despite still being under construction and uh julie guessed what is saint thomas um beth guessed what is saint patrick's uh the correct response is the cathedral of saint john the divine um and so you know i mean there was a triple stumper about this uh gorgeous fascinating cathedral that actually was in my old neighborhood when I was in grad school. Mm. Um, and, uh, and so I decided to do a little research and, uh, and share that. Um, nice. Talk a little bit about um, St. John, the unfinished um, and in particular, you know, sort of why it's uh, why is it unfinished? Um, uh, so first of all, um, talking about what makes it a cathedral. A cathedral is a church that is the seat of a bishop. So a bishop sort of oversees the diocese, the the like uh, local or like regional, like the body of churches in a region. So St. John the Divine is the cathedral. I'm not sure how big the diocese of New York is, um, but it's the cathedral, I believe, for the diocese of New York. Um, and it's an Episcopal cathedral. So the two guesses we had were St. Patrick's, which is the which is a Roman Catholic cathedral. Um, and then St. Thomas's is a, a really gorgeous building and architecturally very significant. Um, but it's not a cathedral because it's not the seat of a bishop. Right. So St. John the Divine claims to be the largest cathedral in the world, uh, which is true depending on how you're measuring, like what you're measuring. Um <laughs> It's fun to have uh, those distinctions. <laughs> yeah. Um, so it's the fifth largest church building overall. There are larger church buildings that are, you know, definitively larger, but they're not cathedrals. Um, it seems like it is definitively the largest cathedral if you are measuring uh, area, like the like the footprint of the space. Um, and probably also if you are measuring the internal volume of the cathedral. Um, there is a, a long, a possibly longer cathedral in Liverpool, um, and Saint John the Divine has the largest rose window in the United States. Mm. Yeah, it was constructed using uh, true Gothic methods. It's entirely made of stone. Um, 
there is a, a much more quickly constructed huge church building nearby, the Riverside Church, um, which was able to build much more quickly because uh, they used a steel frame. Oh. Um, uh, but St. John the Divine is entirely stone. Um, uh, so what about it's unfinished? Um, the, the plans always called for a large central tower um, and that structure was never begun. Um, the transept, if you think about a cathedral, it's laid out like a cross, right? Like the, the, the long piece and then most of the way up there's the, the, uh, the piece that crosses it. Um, the so the transepts, the parts that are supposed to come out to the side, um, are very truncated. They were never fully built out. And then there were supposed to be two towers at, the, at that entrance. Um, the south tower is shorter than was intended because they ran out of money. Uh, the north tower was never built. So um, a little history of St. John the Divine. Um, it was first sort of conceived of in 1828. Um, Bishop John Hobart of New York um, had some initial consultations with uh, the New York City mayor, Philip Hone, um, but nothing came of it at that time. In 1872, a different bishop, Bishop Horatio Potter, starts to work in earnest to build an American cathedral. Um, and he says his goal is to rival St. Patrick's Cathedral in New York City. So there's some like Catholic Protestant tension there, right? Like the Catholics have a great big Roman Catholic cathedral that is, you know, gorgeous and significant and, and the Episcopal Church would like to have one as well. Mm -hmm. That's strange. I've never heard of Protestant Catholic tensions. I know, right? So yeah, in 1873, uh, New York State grants a charter and uh, they start working on securing a site, um, but that's delayed by an economic depression. 1887, Bishop Potter dies and is su succeeded by his nephew, Henry Potter, who goes on to acquire a site in Morningside Heights. So sort of at the, at the north end of what we would call the Upper West Side as it gets into Harlem. And the site that he acquires used to be an orphanage. Hmm. In 1891, an architectural firm, uh, the firm of Hines and Lafarge, wins a competition to design the cathedral, and they're planning on designing it in what uh, was referred to in what I saw as a Byzantine revival slash Romanesque revival style. The next year, Bishop Potter lays the cornerstone and construction begins. So the initial building phase takes a lot longer than anticipated because in order to build a cathedral, you need to dig all the way down to bedrock, which was deeper than they thought it would be. It turns out they needed to dig down 72 feet. Um, it took two years of digging and it was way more expensive than they thought. Um, so JP Morgan ended up giving them a half million dollars to help get them through that phase. In 1899, uh, they have started, they've completed enough construction to uh, hold services in what becomes the Chapel of the Crypt. In 1903, they're starting to build up and they get eight massive granite columns to support the east end of the cathedral. Um, each one is a single 130 ton, 50 foot long piece, which are like quarried and made in Maine and then transported from Maine on a barge specially constructed for the purpose to New York. Mm. Which I'm sort of curious then how you transport them like because even once you get them there you still have to then you've got them you know on a barge and you need to transport 
eight hundred and thirty ton granite columns into the middle of Manhattan. And by the way, it's nineteen oh three. So I don't know how they did that, but you know. <laughs> um, all right. So nineteen oh seven, one of the two architects who runs that firm dies. Um, Heinz dies, and um, there's some friction between the trustees and the architectural firm. They fire the architectural firm. Um, they're interested in a more gothic, less Romanesque style. Um, they start looking for a new architectural firm. But construction continues a bit. Um, the next year, the roof of the choir portion of the cathedral, uh, which is like like the top part of the cross. So that that's completed. And in that same year, Bishop Potter dies and is succeeded by another bishop, Bishop David Greer. In 1909, uh, they put a tile dome over the crossing, which is where the long and short pieces of the cross meet. And the tile dome is intended to be temporary, um, but it is 110 years later and that tile dome is still there today. They were supposed to eventually build like a massive spire up, but they never did. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, 1910 construction of the organ begins uh, with Ernst Skinner taking the lead on that. And in 1911, they get a new architect, architect Ralph Adams Cram, who had designed St. Thomas's Church on Fifth Avenue. Um, he has plans to pursue a Gothic style for the rest of the cathedral, but because of what's already happened, he has to sort of accommodate some things that deviate from a traditional Gothic style. Um, for instance, this uh, what the footprint of the existing cathedral is already wider relative to the length than a typical Gothic cathedral footprint. In that same year, they consecrate the choir and the crossing, um, and throughout the 19, 1910s and 1920s, they complete various chapels and different components and consecrate them and start to use them. Just one word about the chapels of St. John the Divine. So the chapels are, if you've been in a cathedral and you've gone sort of uh, back behind, there's usually sort of a like an arched kind of portion behind that like top portion of the cross, mm-hmm. and there will usually be like separate like separate little like chapels in that area. St. John the Divine has seven of those. They call them the chapels of the tongues. Um, and each one is dedicated to a saint who is connected to one of the seven largest immigrant groups at the time coming in through Ellis Island. Oh. Yeah, so trying to sort of connect it to the ethnic heritage of New York's immigrant populations. Nice. Yeah. Also in 1911, uh, the... The first dean of the cathedral is appointed uh, Grosvenor. I don't know how to say his name. So the bishop is responsible for the diocese, like the region. But cathedrals also have usually a dean of the cathedral who's more specifically responsible for the worship and programs and day-to-day operation of what's happening in the cathedral itself. So 1916, uh, work begins on the foundation of the nave. Um, the nave being the, that long piece of the cross of the cathedral but it's suspended due to a shortage of funds. In 1919, Bishop Greer dies. He's succeeded by Bishop Birch, who dies the next year. And then finally, uh, a new bishop comes in, uh, William Thomas Manning, who makes the cathedral a major focal point of his work. All right, so in 1922, uh, we have the installation of the historical parapet, which is sort of a distinctive feature of St. John the Divine. This is a thing with uh, 20 niches, each with one sculpture. So there's the 20 niches are one for each of the Christian centuries, so the centuries since Jesus. And in each niche, there's a a sculpture of a figure 
who in that hundred years did the most in the opinion of the cathedral authorities at the time for the uplift of the world. So some figures you might recognize in there, there we have Christopher Columbus, George Washington, Abraham Lincoln, and they ended up deciding to leave the 20th century niche empty until the end of the century. They, they did have some debate about who to put in there. And if they had decided in 1922 that the sort of front runners that they were considering were Theodore Roosevelt, Woodrow Wilson, uh, British Prime Minister Lloyd George, or Chief Justice Charles Evan Hughes, which, you know, sure. fair enough. At the um, time, but yeah. <laughs> probably better not to decide in 1922. They were like, well, maybe something will happen in the next 78 years. Spoiler, some things happened. Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so, and they ended up using that niche for a statue that has four figures clustered close together. Martin Luther King, Albert Einstein, Susan B. Anthony, and Mahatma Gandhi. Good choices, I would say. So, yeah. So they're, they're running out of money. And in 1923 uh, to 25, they undertake a $10 million capital campaign. And that campaign is headed up by Franklin D. Roosevelt. And they are able to come up with the funds to keep working on this cathedral. But construction is slow because there's World War One. There's there's the Great Depression, and you know it's just sort of slow going. But finally, in 1941, the entire length of the cathedral is opened and consecrated. That happens on November 30th, 1941. They're going to be continuing construction. There's lots of energy. One week later, we have December 7, 1941. Pearl Harbor is bombed. Construction halts. The bishop redirects funding of, you know, the Episcopal Church in the in the area toward charitable efforts. And even if they'd wanted to keep building, there's this huge shortage of skilled laborers because of the war effort, right? People are going to war. So in 1942, the cathedral donates five tons of scrap metal, um, including wrought iron railings for uh, for the war and accepts from London's Chapel Royal for safekeeping uh, silver altar vessels, um, which gives rise to an urban legend that the cathedral at one time housed the crown jewels. It did not. Mm. Um, Yeah, but because they accepted some precious items from London, there's this sort of rumor that they held the crown jewels. Mm. And all throughout this, there's like significant social justice and outreach and ministry work happening. And uh, construction sort of stagnates Um, But in 1978, plans begin under uh, the dean of the cathedral, James Parks Morton, to revive construction. And he has this plan that he's going to have local youth apprentice as stonecutters, and that's going to help with the work on the cathedral, but it it will also provide job training for youth in the neighborhood. In 1982, they begin construction on the South Tower, uh, the one that you know that ended up existing so there's still no north tower and to inaugurate the building program artist in residence tightrope walker philippe petit uh Hmm. that one if you recognize that name uh walks a wire across amsterdam avenue um so toward toward the cathedral he's the same one who would much later uh not actually not too much later uh walk between the two towers of the world trade center yeah in 1993, the South Tower building program halts for lack of funding. Um, the South Tower was supposed to stand at 300 feet. It stopped at 200. And then in 2001, they have a huge fire, a six-alarm fire that destroys the north transept. Uh, they do some cleaning and restoration 
in 2005. In 2006, they finally take down the scaffolding from constructing the South Tower, (laughs) and it becomes visible for the first time in 15 years. In 2008, a rededication service reopens the length of the cathedral, and uh, that takes us almost up to today. So, yeah, they have no plans at this time to continue construction, but... The website notes that many Gothic cathedrals were constructed over hundreds of years, and construction projects may continue. The building is uh, the building is landmarked, um, which uh, will impact their ability to do construction. But I think it's uh, they have some kind of there's been some conversation between the cathedral and the and the landmark commission, um, mm-hmm. uh, and I think they're they're likely to if they want to continue working toward finishing the cathedral at some point they may be able to i will tell you new york churches often dread and avoid being landmarked because it means that you have to preserve your like your external uh, building exactly as it is yeah uh and puts all kinds of constraints that are that can be expensive and tough to deal with but yeah that makes sense yeah so despite being architecturally unfinished the cathedral is a huge significant center of religion and culture and activism um and has been you know since it since it uh since the beginning a few things i noticed uh reading about it um in 1937 there was a they uh exhibited a model of a slum tenement within the cathedral to uh, draw attention to issues of uh housing martin luther king jr preached there in 1956 there was an ecumenical service with 6,000 in attendance in 1964, uh, calling for the end of segregation. Um, Duke Ellington's sa- second sacred concert premiered there, and it was also where his funeral was. Um, wow. Uh, yeah. A number of other great historical figures had their funerals there. Um, Tesla, Jim Henson, James Baldwin, Dizzy Gillespie. Uh, there's a lot of others that I could have, whose names I could have pulled as well. Madeline Lengel was very closely connected there, um, the author of A Wrinkle in Time and other works. Um, She was a writer in residence. She uh, volunteered with some of the ministries there. Um, One of her novels is set there, um, and it's also where she's buried. Oh, wow. Yeah. And uh, it was also uh, the location of Aretha Franklin's final public performance in 2017. Wow. Yeah. So for an unfinished cathedral um it is sure does a lot (laughs) yes and you know we can take inspiration from that because really are any of us finished yeah i think that's a that's a fair point wow yeah that is yeah more than you ever wanted to know about the cathedral of saint john the divine well i don't know about wanted to but certainly more than i did know uh i yeah yeah, i i was not going to get to that uh correct response and now now i have a much better idea of it yeah it's a really cool space too if you're uh if you're ever in new york i would encourage touring all right so that takes us into our quiz yeah yeah and uh i don't i don't have anything too um too out there i don't i didn't come with it up with any wordplay i just thought it would be fun to do a quiz about things that are unfinished sure i like that all right so all of these are a single answer. Uh, I've got five questions worth 10 points each and a final question at the end. Okay. And uh, here we go. Scholars have wondered whether this first and shortest of the four canonical gospels is unfinished. In the oldest manuscripts, 
Its abrupt ending concludes with the women at the empty tomb of Christ and the words, And they went out quickly and fled from the sepulchre, for they trembled and were amazed. Neither said they anything to any man, for they were afraid. Which gospel is this? The first. Oh, oh, I should, I should actually, I, I realized that wording was ambiguous. Sorry. Uh, whether this first composed, first composed, and yes, yes, okay. not not first in the canonical order of the New right. Testament, right? Because I was going to say, I, I, I recall that the order that they are listed is not the order that they were written. Right. Sorry, I, uh, I should have, uh, I should have worded that better. That's okay. Uh, yes. Okay. Um, oh man, I feel bad now because I should know this. I should know this like right off the top of my head. Uh. I'm gonna go. Uh, I'm gonna go with Mark. You're correct. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think the the sort of easiest route in there, I think, would be knowing that Mark is the shortest mm-hmm. um, of the four. Yeah. Uh, most Bibles have a longer ending. I, I think all Bibles have a longer ending, and most of the newer translations will mark it as the longer ending. Somebody at some point decided that. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid was not a good ending for uh, for the story of <laughs> Jesus's resurrection. Right. <laughs> added on, added on what happened after that. Uh, but right, that's the a pr- longer ending of Mark was composed separately and much later. Gotcha. Yeah, that's a pretty big leap from there to Acts. If you're just gonna, yes, if you're just gonna jump right past the Gospels to get there. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All right. So ten points for you yes. on that. All right. Question number two. I. I think this quiz might be very much on the easy side, but it's okay. It's okay. It can be easy. Mozart, as I'm sure you know, died with his Requiem in D minor unfinished. Indeed. What other composer, now remembered mostly for his connection with Mozart, completed the Requiem at Mozart's widow's request and delivered it to Count Franz von Walsegg Stubach? There, well, I feel... Is there, are there ambiguities? Well, no, no, no. They're not, there aren't ambiguities, um, but there's... I, I think I know the answer you're looking for, mm. which is, is which is correct. Like I'm not saying like oh this isn't right. Um, oh, did I have? There are actually multiple. Um, there, there's more than one completion of the requiem. Right, which is why I pinned it which to is why Mozart's widow's request. Right. Yes, because I've sung another completion. Yes. Um, so I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go with Salieri. Oh, um, so. Salieri's in the mix yeah. here, but I don't think he wrote the completion. I, I didn't either, and I couldn't. I, I'm not pulling the name. Seussmeyer. Mm-hmm. Seussmeyer. Uh, That's, yep, yep, yep the Seussmeyer. Yep, 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 yep. I should have yep. known that. Man, I even, we even studied that. Ugh. Ugh. Yeah. Um, I'm actually not, like, I know that I should, like, as somebody who's done choral singing, be kind of familiar with the Seussmeyer completion. Um, and I know the name, um, but the Levin completion is the one that I've sung. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like, it was like yesterday when I realized that I'm snobby about the Levin completion without having any context of, like, knowing other completions. I've just adopted my snobbiness about the Levin completion from my conductor, who I guess probably does know the, the various options. Yeah, and I mean, the snobbiness comes from may i may have taken a sort of a counter uh perspective when when studying things like this and learning about it um i think snobbiness tends to come from people who are convinced that they know best what you know a dead person would have done mm-hmm. um and i think i think it's erroneous to assume that any completion is 
quote unquote like more accurate uh you can like anything you want more than anything else that's fine but to i don't know for like conductors tend to get that way about things they choose though yeah um, yeah fair enough all right did i have anything wrong in the question no. i know that i know there are okay no no no. you yeah, were right I, I was i i i did not remember the names of the completions at all like i can hear the da series like i can compare them in my head but i don't remember who did it yeah yeah because susmeyer was his uh his student right yes yeah um yeah it seems like they were uh seems like they were close from the uh correspondence records between them from from what i read about it yeah oh man that's embarrassing yeah. i missed a classical mm-hmm. music question on mozart <laughs> i thought i handed you a give me oh well no. i know I, I was you know for anybody else i would have like i i would have uh i would have asked like an easier aspect of uh of mozart's requiem sure no that's a um, that's a fine yeah, but question. i was like it's kyle i've gotta i've gotta go a little deeper than you know name the composer or the work yeah no it's that was a good question that, yeah that was appropriate Thanks. all right question three in Warm Springs, Georgia, hangs an unfinished portrait of Franklin D. Roosevelt. The watercolor painting by Elizabeth Shumatov was begun around noon on April 12, 1945. What prevented its completion? April 12, 1945 in Warm Springs. I, I would assume that would be the death of FDR. Yes. Yep. I, uh, that, that's another easy one. Okay. Easy one. <laughs> no, no, no. You're, you're smart. Uh, yeah. Yes. He, uh, he sat down... Um, I guess he he remained seated. Well, no, he could he could walk some um, with braces, but in in any case, so he sat for the portrait um, starting at noon. They broke for lunch. He complained at lunch of a headache and died of a stroke later that very day. And uh, Shumatov decided not to complete that version of the painting. And so what you have is just Roosevelt's face um, and a completely unfinished background, no body. Uh, and she decided to leave it that way. She later painted other portraits of him, um, but the uh, the unfinished portrait she left just as it was. Hmm. Cool. Yeah. All right. So question four. A noted 20th century author instructed his family to destroy any unfinished work after his death. Um, of course, they did not. His son, Dimitri, published his unfinished novel, The Original of Laura, in 2009. Announcing his plans to publish, he said, My father appeared before me and said with an ironic grin, You're stuck in a right old mess. Just go ahead and publish. Name the author. The original of Laura. Mm. 20th century author. Mm-hmm. Um, Dimitri re- leads me to Russian, and I'm trying to pull a name. So I'll start naming names that I know it's not. Pretty sure it's not Nabokov though it might be pretty sure it's not Solzhenitsyn let me know when you're ready yeah um I'm not gonna get it all right it was Nabokov oh dang it I should have just guessed uh yeah and uh the original of Laura was uh critically panned people uh people thought he shouldn't have written it shouldn't have uh shouldn't have published it um the manuscript actually consisted of 138 handwritten index cards um absurd so I, yeah <laughs> so so really unfinished i would say yeah um, really not even yeah. started i would say <laughs> yeah all right so you're at 20 we're going to question five bah. um i had never all right about 100 minutes of 
the film Game of Death had been filmed in 1972, but production stopped when the star received the opportunity to star in a major Hollywood film titled Enter the Dragon. Name the star, who died of cerebral edema before Game of Death could resume filming. Okay, the star of Enter the Dragon yeah. in Game of Death. I I could try and work around it, but I'm, I'm just going to go with Bruce Lee. You're correct. Okay, good. <laughs> okay. Um, yeah. Uh, I missed a trivia question about that a week or two ago, and I think maybe that's why that one made it in here. Yeah, I remember, I remember him not being able to do Game of Death. I remember that. Cool. All right. Um, so you have 30 points uh, going into final. Um, how many would you like to wager? Ooh. Well, let's go with uh, 30 point. Let's go. Let's go 21. If I can get myself okay. up over over 50. Okay. The Basilica of La Sagrada Familia is unfinished. Construction began in 1882 and is projected to be completed in 2026. The architectural style of the basilica has been referred to as Catalan modernism and the architect drew inspiration from nature and included columns that branch like the limbs of trees and capped the height at 170 meters because he believed that no constructed church building should be higher than God's own handiwork. So he designed the, the, the basilica not to exceed the height of the highest point of the city in which it stands, Montjuic Hill, named the architect. Uh, I was actually going to talk about this when while you were talking about uh, St. John's because it's the cathedral that I know of that is uh, unfinished. Uh, that would be Gaudi. Yes, that's correct. Yeah. Uh, and I carefully avoided putting the word Barcelona in the clue, although I pointed there uh, with Catalan yeah. and Montjuic Hill. I, I, um, yeah, I've been to uh, La Sagrada Familia. So, yes, um, yeah. which is uh, apparently was a cathedral at one point, but is not at this point, but the Pope has designated it as a basilica, which is like a designation that only the Pope can give to um, like a church building that's uh, sort of of very, you know, major significance. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, but yeah, no, no bishop uh, is, uh, it's not the seat of a bishop, so it's not a cathedral anymore, but it was for a little bit. Mm. Um, but it is, yeah. Have you, have you been there? I have. Yeah. We, uh, yeah, me too. It was pretty cool. Barcelona. I loved Barcelona. Yes. Um, and that, that building is just unbelievable. It really is. Um, yeah. Unlike anything else, it is it is a unique, unique place. Yeah, I tried to tried to capture a little bit of it, although you really can't in words. You just have to you know have to be there. Mm -hmm. um, look up some pictures, listeners, if you haven't if you haven't seen images of uh, Sagrada Familia. Yeah, check it out. It's really cool. Yeah, it's really so cool. cool. And it will stick in your brain because like I as I said, there's nothing like it. Like it, you won't mistake it for anything else once you see it. So Kyle, very nice work. Um, you uh, you finished with fifty one points. Yay! Congratulations! Yay! Yeah, thank you. And uh, hopefully, hopefully our listeners got some points too. Sorry guys for the Seuss Meyer question. Yeah, and Yay. and listeners, if you got it and I didn't, please don't let me know. <laughs> <laughs> let me wallow in this. <laughs> oh man, we studied it. We we did comparative analysis of them. Like, ah, uh... yeah. Oh, that's frustrating. 
I, I, of course, I haven't, I haven't thought about that since four or five years ago when I did it, but. Yeah. Okay. That's yeah. fine. That's fine. <laughs> yeah, you can, you can get me next time. Uh, I don't know. I think I already did <laughs> in the first, first round, so. Well, that's our show. Thanks for spending your time with us. Uh, make sure to subscribe to Potent Potables wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would uh, leave us a review and or a star rating, we'd really appreciate it. Yeah. And uh, check us out on social media. Our Facebook is Potent Potables, and we are on Twitter at Potent Potables 1. We'll be back next week with another week of recaps heading into December. So until next time. May your minds be quick and your buzzers be quicker.